morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and uh, so thankful uh, to be able to worship with you and to gather together. Um, as we have said, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I, I want to just first say, uh, please, um, I, I make this plea, and every couple of times I say this, uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would really like it if you just go ahead and book in your calendar right now to walk forward at the end of the service so I can say hello to you. And so just kind of put that in your day planner and know that I'll only keep you for just a few minutes um, just to get to know you, say hello to you. I'd love an opportunity to meet you. Um, and uh, it is uh, just great to be together, to worship the Lord together, and we're so thankful that uh, you're here with us. Um, if you're a guest with us, we are... Uh, we began last week a new series, um, in a sense, of working through uh, what it means to be a disciple, how we are disciples of Jesus, what that means to be called a disciple of Jesus Christ, and um, all that that involves. And we're going to sort of look at this, and we're going to look at it from a multiple angles over the next few weeks, sort of answering that question. It's our practice typically, and so you can look forward in the fall, we'll launch back into this. Um, we will work our way through books of the Bible or sections of text. We just finished a series on the Sermon on the Mount and from Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Um, and we'll pick up this fall if you want to study ahead. Um, I don't think I've told anyone this, so you're the first to hear this. We're going uh, we to be studying the book of Joshua. And so that's where we'll be in September. Um, but between now and then, um, we are, our elders have just sort of felt this need and desire that we want to grow as disciples, but also grow and be better as disciple makers as a church. And so um, we're, you're going to hear this kind of throughout our summer months, talking about building a culture of discipleship in our church. And if we're going to get there, the first thing that we need to do is really look, like, look at what does the Bible tell us about being a disciple? What does that look like? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? So last week we began this series uh, looking at Matthew and Jesus' uh, sort of startling remarks that he said that he did not come to bring peace but to bring the sword to divide in a sense with his gospel message to sort of wreck all of the things that the world sort of held and he primarily addressed one of the things in culture of his day was the, the family unit was very, was sort of uh, in some senses idolized. It was what was most precious to the people of Jesus's culture. And so he said, I came even to divide the family with my word, the message of the gospel. Some people won't believe. And, and, if, and ultimately, as we consider the fact that that is true, but it's worth it. It's worth it to follow Jesus, ultimately, to be his disciple. This morning, continuing along that theme or that idea, and we ask the question of what it means to be a disciple, um, we want to ask that and look at the text of Scripture and see what God's Word says about being a disciple. Now, this might be, I'll tell you, this series over the next few weeks, it might seem and sound and um, even feel like to many of you as very simple, kind of back to the basics in a sense. And that is true. But you might remember, though, even as we went through the Sermon on the Mount, that I said very often we looked at Jesus' words to us, and the words that Jesus said, they were rather simple. There wasn't anything that we would read from Jesus' words and just say, mind's blown. That rarely happened. The power came in believing what Jesus said, applying it to the, to the disciples that heard it first, and us applying it to our lives. That's where the power comes and so even as we consider what it means to be a disciple, you're not probably going to hear anything that is tweetable or quotable or repeatable necessarily. It's rather simple stuff. It's basic Christianity. 
but there is power in it. And the power comes because being a disciple means that you are a child of God, almighty God. You've been made right before him. And what else matters in the world? Is there anything more powerful than that? So as we ask the question today, what makes you a disciple? We're gonna see that this could be answered in multiple ways. Over the coming weeks, we're gonna answer that question in a lot of different ways. We're gonna look at different uh, uh, sections of the text and find that out and unpack what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I want you to know we're not gonna solve any algorithms. There's not some master thing that you're gonna learn. There's, it's not about knowledge necessarily that we're gonna grow in, but we're gonna grow in understanding what God says and he doesn't hold it back. He gives us just a simple way. Have you ever thought about Christianity? And some of you might be in sort of in a sense investigating Christianity. You're just here because a friend brought you here. You're not really sure if you believe anything that we believe. Um, you're not sure that you would call yourself a Christian even. And that's okay. You're in the right place. God in his kindness brought you here for a purpose. But you might have thought to yourself that being a Christian is some complex thing. What we're going to learn this morning is that it's not. Again, it is very simple. It is yet also very powerful. So the first thing, as we heard Clint read from us, for us from Genesis chapter 15, you might have picked up on a word that really makes the text, helps us understand all that God was doing with Abram. And it's found in verse 6 with the word belief. So if we want to understand what it means or what makes you a disciple, how we become a disciple or what a disciple is, a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who simply believes, believes. And what we're going to try and do as we look at this text is to help us understand what that means. Abraham believed, it said, and it was counted to him as righteousness. I'm going to actually start in Romans chapter 4 where Paul is retelling the story of Genesis 15. So Paul has written a letter to the Roman church, and as he's written this letter to Rome, he has described for them what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how they become a follower of Jesus, all of these things. There's a lot of things found in Romans. It's a very deep and dense theological book. But in chapter 3, just before the text that I'm about to read, Paul has said that, they, they are not, that our relationship with God... And man's relationship sort of being in right position with God is not based upon what they do, not the works of the flesh, but it is by faith. That it's what they believe, ultimately, that, that sort of reconciles man to God. And Paul, being a good sort of uh, theologian, understanding and, and knowing Christ so intimately well, he understood that people might ask, especially Jewish people who were hearing this story, they would say, well, wait, what about Abram? What about Abraham? Father Abraham, how, what made him right before God? And so knowing that he might kind of offer that, that, that up in chapter 4, he addresses that concern. And this is what he says. Again, you'll hear sort of the retelling of what was read for us from Genesis 15. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Being a disciple of Jesus starts with belief. And Paul is showing us how Abraham was without hope. He had no no hope before God intervened, before God interjected into his story. If we go back to, flipping back over to Genesis 15, where Clint read for us, if you get there. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, fear not, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. Abraham had a problem. God had made this promise, had told him these things that he would do in his life. But Abraham had a problem that he did not understand how God would sort of fix it, how God would deal with it. He had nothing on his own. This is why back in Romans chapter 4, Paul says, what are we supposed to say about him? According to the flesh, what did he have? What, what, what could he cling to? What could he say he had done on his own? He had nothing. He was helpless. There was no hope for Abraham to get what God had promised him on his own. It started with belief. And Paul tells us, you know how we know this is true? Because guess what would happen if Abraham had had something? Verse 2, back in Romans chapter 4. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. If Abraham had the ability, Paul says, to deal with his problem, to deal with the challenge of his life on his own, he would have done that. He would have very much done the work to do what he needed to do, to justify himself before God, to make himself right before God, to give him the blessing of a family before God, but he couldn't. He was helpless on his own. But if he had, what would he have boasted? He would have boasted in his ability to do that. Think about children. Many of us in this room have children, perhaps grandchildren. Do you remember that one time that they cleaned their room on their own without you having to tell them to do it? What did they do? They ran to you to tell you. I cleaned my room. They wanted you to know because they want to boast in what they did. Only that one time. The rest of the time, they're not doing it on their own. They're having to be kind of wrangled or whatever it is that they might do. Or you yourself, there's something in your life. There's something that you do. You know that it's a good thing. You know that you did a good job on something. You want someone to know about it. Why do we mow our lawns? Besides, I know we need to upkeep, but we want the neighbors to see how well we take care of that grass. That's why we do it. We want to boast in something. That's just in our nature. Let's take that even deeper to a spiritual situation. This is how we really know what's in our hearts. Have you ever had a conversation with a friend? And I mean like a real conversation. By the way, if you haven't had these kinds of conversations, let me just encourage you to do this more often. Sit around the dinner table. Have a good conversation with your friends and begin to ask about the big things of life. Who is God? What makes us right before God? How do we 
how, do we, how are we supposed to live this life? And if you ask that question some, some, in some way, asking the question, why does God have a relationship with mankind? And how is that possible? How can we be sort of right before God? I can tell you that most people, sometimes even Christians, will answer that question by saying, well, let me tell you about all the things that I've done. I'm a good friend. I serve over here. I give to this nonprofit oogles and oogles of money. I do something. There's something tangible that we point to. We try and testify. Some of us might even say, I go to church at City Church every single week. 1030 service, third row, second from the end. That's how faithful I am. Some of us hold on to that. And that is what we say when we're asked the question, how as a human being do we find ourselves right before God? How do we have a relationship with our creator? We're gonna talk about all of the things that we might do. And Paul, he's saying, look at Abraham. He's a perfect example. All the way back, by the way, in the Old Testament, before the Messiah had come, he didn't justify himself by works. There was no way that Abraham could create life and give himself an heir and fulfill the promise that God had made to him on his own. He did not have the power or the capacity to do that. Look at verse four from Romans chapter four. Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. See, it's not just that we might boast in our works, but if we were able to work, to do something, to make ourselves right before God, to become a disciple of Jesus on our own, we would expect it. How many of us, when you got paid on the first or whenever it is that you get your paycheck, you went to your boss or your supervisor or whoever it is that gives you your compensation and you said, thank you so much. That was such a sweet gift you offered me. No one does that. We say, you should have paid me more. We expect it. If we do the work, we expect to get paid. I did one thing somewhat right with my sons. I tried to wean them off of that expectation, and so I'd have them do all sorts of work. They'd do it for free, and then every now and again, I'd give them a gift, and they thought they were doing great. But mo that's not how we normally operate. We expect that we're gonna get paid. And if we do something right before God, if we think in our minds, this is something that is sort of special, sort of makes me holy, helps kind of set me apart, what we do, what we say to ourselves is, well, of course, God is going to bless this. There's gonna be something that comes from this. We expect it, but that's not what we get from God. See, if we did the work, if there was some way to justify ourselves before God, if we could make ourselves disciples on our own, it would be an expectation. But verse, verse five is what describes us. To the one who does not work, we could also say to the one who cannot work his way into right relationship with God, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Abraham believed the promise of God and it was counted to him as righteousness. To be a disciple, we have to believe. That's where it starts. What do we believe in, you ask? Well, the first thing that we have to believe in is that we have a need. 
And this, again, is very often a stumbling block for many of us because we think we're pretty good. We think we've got ourselves pretty well together. Again, we testify, we share all of the good things that we do. But if we look back to Genesis 15, we look at Abraham as Paul gave us his example. We look at him as an example. He says in verse 2, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? You've told me that I'm going to be the father of many nations. You told me all these things that you're going to do, God, but I am childless. I don't have anything. This seems impossible. He understood that he had a need. And we have to also, like Abraham, believe that we have a need. He had no children, no future. Without children, his inheritance and everything would have passed. When he talks about one of his household, he basically had a servant that was going to become, receive all of his inheritance and everything was going to go through him. But God had said, no, I'm going to do something different. I have a promise for you. But it started with Abraham understanding as he talked with God that he had a need. Do you realize, are we aware of our need before God? That we can't help ourselves? We don't have the capacity? There's no amount of work that you can do that can make yourself right before God. That is not how it works. As we consider these big questions of God and who he is and how we have a relationship with him and ultimately how we become and live as a disciple, we've got to realize that we have a need there. And that need is rooted in our sinfulness. We're a sinful, broken people. I know that doesn't sound very encouraging, but I'm going to give you the encouragement here in a few minutes. But it starts, you can't receive the encouragement if you don't first acknowledge that there is a need there. That there is help needed. Some of you know, you might have heard this week, we had a pretty crazy week and our little baby puppy got out and she was injured. Praise the Lord, she's okay. But she has a deep and serious wounds, an injury there. Now if we... That's what y'all are thinking right now. See, who's talking to my Siri? I don't know what I said that cued that off. I'm trying to not repeat those same words again. There we go. Thank you. It was a real challenge. <laughs> it was deep. The wounds are real there. But can you imagine, again, she can't speak, of course, but if she could, and she just tried to act as if, oh, I have no problem, guess what would never come? She would never receive healing. We've got to do a lot of things to help her heal up and to recover. There's things that have to happen. In the same way, before we ever can have a relationship with God, the first thing where that begins, we believing that we have a need, that there, is, there are wounds that we don't have the capacity to heal on our own. This is what Abraham did. He knew that he had a need. He believed that. But he also, after believing he had a need, he also believed God's word. Let's go back to Romans. I know I'm flipping you back and forth here, but Romans chapter four, verse three, Paul says, for what does scripture say? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed he had, his need, had a need, but he also believed, he understood that he believed God's word. What does scripture say? When's the last time you had a problem in your life 
and you asked yourself the question, well, what does Scripture say? Not what does Facebook say? Not what does the culture say? Not what do I want to believe that I'll find somebody that can say that same thing so I'll believe what I want to believe. No, but what does Scripture say? When was the last time, you, whenever you face whatever it might be, you asked yourself, what does God say? God has spoken through his holy word. He has given it to us. And if he's given it to us, we have to believe it. Abraham believed God's word. All God did was he said something. Abraham says, I'm going to have children. I'm going to be the father of many nations. God, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but just in case you aren't aware, I have no children. My wife is barren. We're very old. We have no ability to solve this problem. And then God spoke. And God said something. And when God spoke, Abraham believed it. And after he believed it, it was counted to him as righteousness. He was declared righteous before God. That's what happened. He just believed God's word. This is where it gets kind of simple, if you, if you think about it. If you've been around the Bible very often, you might know this, the part of this story is Abraham had a wife who would, of course, bear the child. Her name was Sarah. You know what Sarah did when she heard the same word from God? You're going to have children? She laughed. No way. God doesn't know what he's saying. That's impossible. She didn't believe God's word. Thankfully, her husband did. When we hear, when we recognize our problem, we believe that we have a need, God has spoken into that need. I told you about our problem, our sinfulness, the brokenness that we have in our life, that we have no capacity to work ourselves out of. We don't do this on our own. But if we read our Bibles and we hear God's word and we believe, we will read and we will see that God has made an even a more amazing promise to us than he made to Abraham. And that promise is, is that we will have everlasting life, that we can have joy in this life, that as one of my favorite pastors says, that our future is very bright. This is all because of what Jesus has done. God said through his word, that there is sinfulness, there is brokenness in this world, and that I have a solution to that problem. I will send my only son, the holy one that we sang about. Because he is holy, he will be the right and proper sacrifice for all sins for all time. And he will lay down his life for all of the sinful, broken people of the world. And when they put their faith and belief in what he did on the cross, that he took his life up again, then they will be called my sons and my daughters. We can be called sons and daughters. We can become disciples of Jesus just by believing his word to us. And we read all of that in this book, the Bible. It's all right here. Do you believe God's word? That's what he has said. That's what he has done. He's proved it to us. Abraham believed. Finally, Abraham also, though, he received God's word. He believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. You know what's required for God to do what he, is going, what he has done, what he will do in our lives? He has to be God. And Abraham believed that God had the power to do what he said he would do. God said, I'm gonna make you a father. You're not, your heir won't be your servant. Your heir will be your very own son. Abraham believed that, and when he believed that, he believed that God had the power to give him a son. 
Fast forward, when we think of Abraham, he was willing to sacrifice his own son. Do you wanna know why he was willing to take his son to prepare the altar, to lay his son on the altar? Because he still believed God's power. And here's what Abraham believed in that moment. If I kill my son, God has the power to raise him from the dead because I remember when God promised me he would be my heir. Even if I kill him now, God will raise him up again and will make him my heir. He believed in the power of God. And so we sit sometimes and we think to ourselves, this sin issue, there's no way God can fix that, can reconcile that. I will never be found right before God because he doesn't understand what I have done in my path. He doesn't know all the things that I'm carrying around. Or we sit and we think to ourselves, there's no way that God should or would be willing to love somebody like me. I don't think, why would he do that? We have whatever question, whatever doubt might exist there, we doubt that God has the power to truly forgive sins and reconcile our broken lives to himself. But Abraham believed it. He believed when God said it that he didn't just say it, but he had the power to deliver on the promise. God has proven that he has the power to deliver on the promise through Jesus, God the Son. Jesus came lived that perfect, sinless life, laid down his life on a cross. He had the power to take up his life again, and he did that so that we might be able to put our faith in him, in that finished work, once and for all. We would believe that, and when we believe, we would be justified. We would be called the righteousness of God. He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us on our behalf when he went to the cross so that through him we might be called the righteousness of God. That's the word of God. That's what God said. That's what God says about the problem we have of being reconciled to him and having a relationship with him. God says, I have provided a way, a means for that to be resolved. I've given a solution All that is required is that you believe, not do. Doing comes after belief. Belief comes first. So often, we get that backwards. Some ways, Christian culture has unfortunately maybe helped us in this. Well, if we just do all these things, then we can be right before God. And that's why we're beginning here. I want to make sure that every one of us knows and understands that what makes us right before God, the righteousness we receive from God is given to us as a gift, not because we have earned it or there's any work that we could do, but as the result simply of believing like a child. Simple belief. I'm gonna close with the story from John chapter 11. Jesus, very good friend, the one whose death he wept over, Lazarus has died. And we see this encounter between Jesus and Martha. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Not just dead, but dead for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. 
Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She believed a little bit about what Jesus had said, that the resurrection was true. She believed that on the last day he would be raised. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he might die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's a simple question that Jesus asks of you, asks of me. Do we believe that? If that is true, we will live. We will live forever with Christ. We will overcome our own sinfulness and the sinfulness of this broken world. Our future is very bright, friends. If we believe, if we simply believe, Martha responds, I pray this would be all of our response. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. That's the title of Jesus. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one that God said, I have a solution to the world's promise. I believe that you are him, the son of God, who is coming into the world. As the worship team comes forward and leads us, we're gonna close in song. We're gonna sing these words. Your goodness is chasing after me. And I want you to know that that goodness that we're gonna about to sing about and that chasing that God is doing is the fact that you're here. Perhaps some of you in this room, I have to expect there's at least one, if not many, some gathering with us through the miracle of technology right now, just hearing the sound of my voice. And God is saying through his word, do you believe who I am? Do you believe that you have a need? Do you believe that I have the solution I have provided through my son, the solution to your need? Do you believe that I have the power to forgive your sins, to overcome? Do you believe this? That's all that Jesus is asking of us. Some of you are saying, oh yeah, I've been believing that forever. But you punished yourself all week for a sin that you committed rather than running to Jesus with it. You didn't go to your brother or sister and say, hey, I sinned, I need to commit this. Because you don't really believe it in your heart of hearts. You think I need to do something. I need to kind of balance the scales out. If you really believed the word of God, if you believed what Jesus had done on your behalf, you would run straight to him with every problem you've ever had. So don't just say, oh yeah, I believe it, I'm a Christian, I've been that way for a long time. No, really think, as we sing, as the Holy Spirit, I pray, moves in this room, ask yourself the question, do you believe? If you believe, you're a disciple. We're gonna talk about how we live as disciples next week. Continue to ask that question. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you didn't just provide a way for us to have everlasting life, to find hope, to be redeemed, but you bring us together week after week and this morning you asked ask us the question as you asked Martha. The simple question, do you believe? Lord, help us to believe. in the room who have been wrestling with you, trying to understand how 
they might find themselves made right before you, Almighty God. I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would just simply believe what you have said and believe that you have the power to have said it and the power to accomplish what you promised. Help every soul in this room to be like Abraham, to believe. And as we believe, we understand and we thank you that because of what you have done, it is credited to us as righteousness. What an amazing gift. And I pray for all, all, everyone else in the room that might have said to themselves, yeah, this is, this is great. I believed that a long time ago. I gave my life to Jesus 20 years ago. And yet, they haven't turned to you for forgiveness of sins just yesterday. They haven't run to you with their problems, the challenges, the brokenness that they're feeling in their hearts. Would you help us all to believe? Thank you for your goodness goodness that pursues us because you love us. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.